Well, after the game yesterday, John couldn't preach today. <laughs> so here I am. Just kidding. <laughs> Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. So would you now please give us grace to receive your truth in faith and in love. And we need strength. We need your strength to follow on the path that you've set before us too. Through Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. 1925 was the first festival of Christ the King. It began, it all began as a response of our Catholic brothers and sisters to a modern world, the temptations and destructions that they felt like they were being offered in a modern world. Now, my math skills have boundaries, strong boundaries, but I think that's just less than 100 years ago which in the grand scheme of the church, the church as it's existed for many, 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 many years, that's not a whole lot of time. A hundred years isn't a whole lot of time. Uh, but our annual recognition of Christ the King Sunday uh, as Reformed folk marks the way that this celebration has quite quickly expanded to include much of the worldwide church, and we're a part of that. Uh, I'm telling you this little brief history of where we are today with Christ the King Sunday because I love where it landed. And I love the reason why wise Christian leaders in our history would have wanted to claim such a day in a culture that would have us looking any which way to find meaning for our life, lives in the world in a world that distracts us and pulls us, in life that has twists and turns that we very quickly learn we have no control over. This is a day, Christ the King Sunday is a day, that the church claims this about Christ, that Christ is the goal of human history, the focal point of the desires of history and civilization, the center of humankind, the joy of all hearts, and the fulfillment of all aspirations. That's what those Christian leaders said about Christ the King. Could that be true? Do we have the audacity to believe all of that? Christ, the goal of human history, the focal point of the desires of history and civilization, the center of humankind, the joy of all hearts, the fulfillment of all aspirations. Yep, Christians have the audacity to believe all of those things. So maybe you're there. Maybe you get it. And these kind of Sundays, they're your anthem. You love them. And maybe you're still curious you still have questions. You're still wondering if it all could be true. If it's not yet your anthem, I won't mask my desires. I hope it will be soon. And there's a word that might help you get there. 
actually, no matter where you find yourself on the journey, there's a word that will help all of us get there. And to speak it, I've asked some friends to help me. Uh, you know Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan. He's our worship pastor here. If you didn't know, he's also a very good friend. Uh, he lets me take my compost in buckets down the street over to his house where he does the actual messy, dirty, gross work of composting. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> he's generous materially. He's generous in spirit. Um, and he loves scripture. He loves the word. Uh, with some other people uh, who are connected to Pillar in various ways, he's working on a project right now called the Revelation Project, uh, which is uh, going, going to be a compilation of art in many forms, uh, all surrounding various aspects of the book of Revelation. Uh, and you're going to keep hearing about that uh, in the future because we're going to keep telling you about it. It's a project we're really excited about that. About. And along with that, he's gathered some people around who have committed themselves to internalizing, to memorizing chunks of the book of Revelation, which is where Pablo comes in. Pablo, or Paul, as you might know him, uh, is also compassionate, wise, a great friend. He loves pillar. He loves people, all people, all people Pablo loves. Uh, and he loves scripture as well. As we were emailing this past week uh, about our excitement for today and about sharing the word with you all, uh, this is what he sent to me. I'm just a simple carpenter and will be doing the best I can with the tools I have to the glory of God. I love that spirit because even if he doesn't know it, and even if you don't know it, it's true of all of us. That's all of our reality. We are all simple people doing the best we can with the tools we have for the glory of God. So I want them to share with you now what Christ the King Sunday is all about. It's from the perspective from the book of Revelation. So listen carefully, listen well. After this I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open. And the first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne, with one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like jasper and carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are twenty-four thrones, and seated on the throne are twenty-four elders, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their head. <clears throat> around the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. And around, in front of the throne, there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Around the throne, and on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with a face like a human face. And the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them 
with six wings are full of eyes all around and inside, day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and to look into it. And then I looked, and I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the one seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slaughtered and by your blood ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God and they will reign on earth. And then I looked and I heard the sound of many angels proclaiming with a loud voice among the elders and the four living creatures. They numbered myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard, Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You thank them with me. That's not easy to do. Plus, it was Pablo's birthday yesterday. That's how he spent his birthday weekend preparing for us today. Thank you so much, friends. And do I even need to say more? (laughs) That's a sermon. That's what Christ the King Sunday is all about from heaven's perspective. And that's why we use this text often on this day, year after year, on Christ the King Sunday, 
And okay, I'm going to say a couple more things about it. But I'll be honest, whatever I add on to that is just going to be extra good news. Because that's good news. Now, Revelation 4 and 5, we know, aren't the first time we get good news in our Bible, in, our, in that big book. Uh, but it is a new way of doing so. A first-hand account of things unseen. Like I said, this is heaven's perspective of Christ. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, will certainly not be the least. It awakens our senses and opens our imaginations and widens our eyes. And as our widened eyes recover from such vivid pictures and imagery, there are two things that I don't want to get lost in the magnitude of it all. And that's this. Christ has been proclaimed as king. And so we are both drawn inward and stirred outward. And I'll tell you a little bit more of what I mean on the second in a minute. But first, Christ is king and we are drawn inward into heaven's reality, into the life of worship, into the center, into him. It shows up first uh, in what may be the easiest spot to overlook, perhaps the most understated in this text at least. That's the very first place we started. John opens Revelation chapter 4 with this. He says, After this I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Very simply put, that's an open door and an invitation. So please, before we go anywhere else today, let me just say this. Is it too obvious to say? We all have that open door for us. We're all given that invitation. Whether you feel confident in all things Jesus, or whether you feel like you lost your way a long time ago and you don't know how to get back. Whether you're 90, or whether you're nine, whether your heart bursts when you hear these words of scripture, or whether all it does is leave you more confused, In heaven, a door stands open and the voice says, come up here. Christ is king, so it's open to you. Now, as we join John as he enters through that door, it's difficult to exactly pinpoint everything that he's experiencing. You heard it. But even if we do miss every single particular, it's hard to miss the bottom line of the reality of worship. Even if it's hardly tangible and barely describable, the way John tries to describe it is by using like as a simile over and over uh, because there seems to be no true earthly comparisons available. He's describing things that are entirely outside of the human experience as he knows it. It's all over the first part of chapter 4. He says, the one seated on the throne looks like Jasper, 
and carnelian. A rainbow that looks like an emerald, sea of glass like crystal, the first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with a face like a human face, and the fourth creature like a flying eagle. Whatever's going on here, I'm not entirely sure, but I know it's good. And although he leaves us a bit to the devices of our own imaginations, the momentum of it all is hard to miss. It's all drawing in, pulling in to the center, to the one on the throne, to the one who was slain worship. Everyone is compelled in, creatures indescribable alongside angels and elders and saints, every living creature on heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, all that is in them, worship, all focused, all centered, all zeroed in on the throne, worship Christ the King to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, if I'm being completely honest, sometimes I get overwhelmed standing up here in front of you all. Not just because there's a lot of you, there are, but because there's a lot of you. Do you get the difference I'm trying to make? You, individually, there's a lot to your stories. There's a lot to your joy. And there's a lot to your pain. And I don't know it all. And quite frankly, I'm never going to know it all. And that's why the church exists, by the way, to be that for one another community. But what I'm trying to say is, in all of your you-ness, I don't know what it's like for you today to hear a word on Christ the King to be brought into the intensity of this reality of worship. It might resonate and fill your spirit to the brim, and it might highlight the places of your story that don't seem to fit in right away with the spirit of worship. The way that each day feels harder and harder to wake up, much less live for, how the one you love is going through more hurt than you could possibly imagine, and there's nothing you can do to make anything better. The sin that time and time again won't let you out of its grasp. What's it like to hear a word about the throne this morning? The Lamb about a Christ who draws you into worship, to hear to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. But I won't recant. Christ is king and draws all of us inward, pulls all of us into worship Because the truth of the matter is, no matter where you find yourself in life, in whatever reality, painful or otherwise, that you find yourself a part of and that you might be experiencing, you are still drawn to the center. You are still called to worship. 
Not because your pain doesn't matter, but because it does. It matters most to the one at the center and can only make sense because of the one on the throne. Eugene Peterson was a longtime pastor who only a few weeks ago was called home to join the worshiping saints of heaven. I imagine what he is experiencing is not unlike what we heard a couple minutes ago. He called these two chapters in Revelation, Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, he called them the last word on worship. And he goes on to say this, and I want you to hear this. Failure to worship consigns us to a life of spasms and jerks at the mercy of every advertisement, every seduction, every siren. Without worship, we live manipulated and manipulating lives. We move in either frightened panic or diluted lethargy as we are, in turn, alarmed by specters and soothed by placebos. If there is no center, there is no circumference. People who do not worship are swept into a vast restlessness, epidemic in the world, with no steady direction and no sustaining purpose. Christ is king, and so we are drawn inward. Christ is king, and we are given perspective on our pain, the pain that is ultimately overcome. Christ is king, and so now everything, whether we recognize it or not, everything revolves around him. Christ is king, and the complex and detailed stories of his life, of our lives, are now woven into his story in his life. The inevitable reality of Christ as king is that he is at the center of it all. All of the good, all of the great, all of the hard, all of the painful. It's why those church leaders less than 100 years ago could say that Christ is the goal of human history, the focal point of the desires of history and civilization, the center of humankind, the joy of all hearts, and the fulfillment of all aspirations. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Christ is king, and we are drawn in. And because Christ is king, we are also stirred outward. Chapter 5 of Revelation opens with a word specifically about Christ. In a moment where John's hope seems to be lost, even in this atmosphere that he's been thrown into of worship and wonder, he still looks for assurance that Christ is worthy. That is when he is pointed to Christ, the lion. Verse 5 says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he may open the scroll and its seals. Yes, the lion is worthy, the strong king, the defender and protector, the one with a great and mighty roar. So John looks, and in verse 6, the story continues. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders 
a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. John hears lion, turns to see lamb. Pretty big plot twist, but he doesn't seem all that disappointed. And and it's not a normal lamb either, having seven horns and seven eyes, we're told. A slaughtered lamb, messy, bloody, with seven horns, so completely strong, immensely powerful, and seven eyes, so also immensely and completely wise, some lamb. And the lamb is the reason that I say that Christ as king not only draws us inward, but also stirs us outward. The slaughtered lamb with its perfect strength and perfect wisdom is for the sake of the world. Everything about this lamb, who we'd more likely expect to be Christ the king, the lion, this lamb is not for conquering the world, but serving it. This lamb is for humanity, for the weak and the vulnerable, for the one who also feels battered and bruised, for you, and for everyone who, like you, needs him. This is Christ the King, Christ the Lamb, the one who entered all of the messiness, all of the brokenness. And that's why you can worship him in your pain. It's because he's been there. He's seen it, he's experienced it, and he now wants to take it on for you. That's the kind of king that we worship on Christ the King Sunday. Which is also to say, if Christ is our king, then we aren't riding in the cavalry, but we're serving in our homeless shelters. We're visiting the inmates in our prisons. We're not just worshiping Christ the King at church on Sunday morning, but we're going then with the Lamb into every place and to every person who has yet to know him. At the throne, at the center, is where we meet the Lamb so we can follow him when we tutor the kids in our schools, when we worship with those who some people believe marginalized at Benjamin's Hope, when we meet our neighbors and become acquainted with their longings. And by the way, that's not just for the purpose of easing the physical burdens of our community and our world, which are many. But this work that we do is done with the hope of making known this king and making known this lamb with the hope of opening that door and inviting in all who need to hear, come up here, come in, come and see, come and worship, come to the center. Christ is king. He is our lion and our lamb. And so as we are drawn inward, we are also stirred outward until that day that we can say with John, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one who is seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Make no mistake, we know the ending to this story. We have the final score. We have the last outcome. This is it. Christ is king. So let him draw you in. And then also send you out, stirred for his heart and for his world.